Hi, everyone. How about I pray for us as we uh, open God's Word? Uh, it's great to be with you. Um, being from Northern Ireland, you were never allowed to wear a hat in church in Northern Ireland if you're a man, and it was positively insisted upon if you're a woman. And uh, I feel a little bit transgressive wearing a hat in church. <laughs> no, they didn't have the sun in Northern Ireland, that's true. One man did come into church and forgot to take his hat off, and he's sitting in front of us. And he's sitting there with his cap on in church. And his wife's hand came up at such a speed that we had to go to the videotape to see if it actually moved and took his hat off his head. And it's like suddenly it was there and then it was gone. <laughs> it's good to be outside. It's interesting that the early church, if it didn't have a... Uh, the early Jewish uh, people, before they became Christian, and they were in a city where there wasn't a... Uh, a synagogue, and there weren't enough people for uh, men to start a synagogue, they would meet down by the river or by the beach under a tree. And here we are as God's people. It's been happening before. How about I pray for us? Then we're going to read 1 Corinthians 2 and sort of uh, wrap up uh, what we're doing. It's been great singing this weekend too. The, the song that most epitomizes what we've done this weekend is We Are the Champion. No. Um, <laughs> Great songs, great songs about identity in who we are and that God has moved us by his spirit from this age to the age to come. He's, uh, and it's his spirit's work. No one has come, uh, become a Christian here on the basis of their own logic, their own power, their own ability. It's only been by the power of the spirit as the proclamation of the gospel. God has, by his word and his spirit, has shaped and uh, made us new in him, uh, not by anything that we've done. So let's pray, and then we'll read 1 Corinthians 2, and then we'll wrap things up for this weekend. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to be outside and enjoy a great creation. And we've seen many good things in your creation this weekend, and it is an amazing creation, which makes us long for the new creation. If this is what the old creation is like, when you renew it, it's going to be amazing. And when you renew us, uh, weakness, sin, fear, uh, brokenness, sickness, death will be gone forever. And you've given us a taste of the new creation in the salvation work you've done in our lives through the power of your Son, the resurrected Jesus, who is uh, the first fruits of a new creation. Uh, Jesus has come to us by the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is God's gift from the future age when all the creation is filled with your Spirit and you have filled us and equipped us Yet we live here in this uh, in-between time where there is tension between the old creation in us and that we are in and the new creation in us and in which we long for. We pray that you will give us the wisdom to live as new creation people in this age, as people of the age to come who yet have to go to work tomorrow, school tomorrow, study, whatever we're doing tomorrow, where the wise person, the philosopher of this age still exists. We pray, Lord, that you will give us the strength by your Holy Spirit to go from here ready to proclaim the greatness of our God in the midst of this age which would scorn Jesus or ignore him. We thank you for his love for us. We thank you for sending him to die in our place, to die the death we should have died and who lived the life we ought to have lived and who has given us a great salvation. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've got your Bibles, scroll down to, uh, we're back to scrolls, that's great, um, to 1 Corinthians 2. <clears throat> Here, God's Word. 
And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for, as it's written, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Uh, I belong to a network of churches uh, called Providence Church Network in Perth. Some of you have, may have heard of that network, and I uh, was one of the pastors uh, for 10 years in that network, and uh, not doing that anymore. But last year, there was a, the gathering of the network. So yeah, once you've got three churches uh, in a, it's a network, right? And if you've only got two churches, you're only one church split away from it not being a network, right? But once you've got three, it feels like you're gaining some traction. And it got big enough that I don't know most of the people. And we were all gathered together, maybe 500 of us, and there was a big celebration where we were meeting, and there was a lunch afterwards, and stalls and market things, and it was, it was just a lot of fun for the day. It was a, a day away, really, uh, with a church service at the start and communion. And, and a friend of mine who started at that church a few years ago, but is a long-term friend of mine, uh, works as uh, the, the main guy who's sort of organising the design uh, fit-outs for all the Westfield shopping centres. Uh, so creative industry. He's a Christian. He struggles with the same stuff we've been talking about the past few days. How do you live as God's person in this world? How do you live as a person of the age to come in this age, especially in a creative industry, which is particularly hostile? You may have noticed the creative industries are particularly hostile towards Christianity. They see it as uh, the old thing that is wrong, uh, it's slightly bigoted towards people, it's not the future, it's not where history's going. Christianity's had its day. And over lunch, we're sitting outside and it's, you know, it's, it's a chilled out day. And he said, I want to introduce you to someone. He introduced me to this uh, young woman. It turns out she's about 40, but that seems young to me. Everything seems young to me now, right? Getting to that age. And he said, this is Claire who works with me. So she's in the creative industries. Uh, she's just become a Christian. I was, oh, a newbie, you know, <laughs> a newbie. Let's, a, a new brand 
fresh new Christian with the paint not quite dry, you know? And you I thought, I've got to ask questions. Uh, so what's it like? Because, you know, it's rare to meet a new Christian who's 40 these days, okay? Let's just face it, it's hard. So what's it like? And she said, it feels light. I went, wow. It feels like a burden has rolled off me. I was like, there's a Sankey's hymn from the 50s that says exactly, you're speaking all the cliches, lady. I says, so, you know, was life a train wreck and you were sort of in the creative industry but doing a sort of heroin on the weekends? And, she, and she's like, no, my, my husband and kids are here. I love them. They're, they're not even, my husband's not even a Christian. He's come along. It's fantastic. It's amazing. I said, what else does it feel like? I'm taking notes by this stage, right? Yeah, it's a blog post in this, right? Names and ages changed to protect the innocent. And... And she said, it feels like I don't have to seek the approval of other people anymore. Now, no one's telling her this stuff. She goes, I suddenly find in Jesus I've got approval from God. And I'm in the creative industries where everyone's trying to one-up the other person and I don't feel I need their approval. I said, so how did you become a Christian? What amazing, mighty act of God in the creative industries were you painting something and the painting split open and the glory of God shone upon you? And she goes, no, Ollie, my mate, just was the kind of boss who was different. And she said, I just, I was thinking something's lacking in my life. And I didn't know what it was, but talking to him, he just seemed to make sense about life. And he, he's my boss, so he wasn't trying to push it on me. But I asked him, what about, what do you, what do you believe? What do you, and he started showing me the Bible. And then he said, well, you could come along to church if you want. And I came along to church and I... It's like she's just like floating in a cloud. So that's great. It's absolutely amazing. And it was just such an encouragement. But the next thing I thought was, she goes, it's so amazing being a Christian among Christians. And my first cynical thought was, you'll learn, lady. You know? <laughs> and I had to kill that thought off in my head, right? I had to kill that thought off in my head. Because, you know, there's something amazing about being belonging to God's people. That we think on the inside, look at this lot. Look around you, look at this lot. And people like Claire are going, wow, you love each other. Wow, you're honest with each other. Wow, I don't have to compete with you for approval. She saw something on the outside of the new age of the Spirit of God working, even though she couldn't articulate it. And she saw it in Ollie, and then she comes to church and she sees it in them. And she said, oh, my husband's here. I can't believe he'd come to church. I said, well, you became a Christian. How easy was that? She goes, oh, that's a good point. You see, we live in the context where, in 2016, 900,000 extra people ticked no religion on the census. There was a campaign that said, not religious anymore, mark no religion on the census. Don't go to church, why do you bother ticking religion? And the, the line, not religious anymore, is amazing, because not religion, not religious is a statement about you, but not religious anymore is a story about you. Remember that time you were religious when you were a kid and you had to go to church in itchy pants and a shirt that was too tight? You don't have to do that anymore to be a good person. And because on the census night in 2011, Madge was sitting with a pencil, because it was on, not online then, and going, hey, Harold, Harold, what religion, are, what church don't we go to anymore? Uh, Calathumpian, so I took Calathumpian and five years later, after a fairly good five years, it had come around to 2016, and suddenly it said, no religion. I can tick that, 
and life still feels good. It doesn't feel like I'm transgressing something to say I'm not a religious person. In fact, it feels like I said the other day, like a home game. It feels like that's the game most people are playing. And then in 2021, another 900,000 people tick no religion anymore. Now, they weren't, like, in 2016, they were all standing up singing, oh, God, and then just went, I'm jack of this, five years later, right? They weren't the people who are in your church serving and giving and loving. They were people who just, it's just not me. We, we haven't done it for ages. We're not involved, and it doesn't feel like it's a bad thing to get rid of. Not religious anymore. And there's a counter-campaign to it, which I think was worse. And it's got a very happy, smiling family. See, the Not Religious Anymore campaign is, we're just going to do what we like. We can live how we like, and we've seen how the church has behaved, and we don't like that. And this smiling, happy family that looks like a lot of smiling, happy families here, except more airbrushed, especially after a weekend away. And here's what the slogan was, to try to get you to tick Christian on the census. We don't go to church but still have Christian values, we're writing Christian. I don't want that. I come from Northern Ireland where everyone was Christian in a funny, vague way. And they were the hardest people to tell about Jesus because they had Christian values. See, Christian values is not the Holy Spirit and the age to come in your life. And if 900,000 people are ticking not Christian anymore and saying, I don't care, there's a whole bunch of people going, we've got this. We know that Christian stuff. That shapes our lives, but we don't go either. We're not involved with the people of God, the, the new kingdom people of God. And it feels like that the away game crowd is getting smaller, us, and the home game crowd is getting bigger, and they're sort of muscling up a little bit more, and they're winning 5-0. It's not even half time. That's how it feels. And that'd be the point, right? Because Claire seems like an outlier. She became a Christian against 1.8 million people in the last 10 years who've gone, you know what, I'm done with it. I don't care. Or even if I tick Christian, it's just a box to tick and I'm self-righteous about my life. And Paul comes to Corinth and it seems like the wave is against him. Because the city of Corinth is religious in many ways, but not Christian. It values many things, but not the gospel. It's impressed by many stories, but not the message about a crucified Jesus. And Paul doesn't go, now, how can I figure this out? What methodology can I put in place that will impress people and somehow get some traction back for Christianity in a place where the census is tanking? And you know what he does? The exact opposite of all of that. We read these words. And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And the Corinthian church has become a proud church. And you know what it doesn't want to do? It doesn't want to read those words from the guy who planted their church. 
And Paul is rubbing their faces in the gospel and the gospel method. Because he says, you've forgotten something. See, there are three M's. Thank you, Paul. With no G in the middle. In the Paul's method and his message and the man Paul himself are of such lowly esteem that it shouldn't work. It shouldn't work. See, the method didn't tap into the cultural indicators of success. When I came to you, brothers, I came weak and trembling. And Corinth didn't like weak. It liked strong. And Corinth didn't like trembling. It liked flex. That's what Corinth liked. And it's very easy in a time when we go, the gospel is on the wrong side of history to decide what is Perth like and how can we do the gospel that way to see if people will sign up because it's tanking and Paul doesn't. So the method went against what Corinth was doing and what Corinth thought was impressive. But the message doesn't fly either. If you go to Corinth, you need technique and style that gathers a crowd quickly and you need to have pull rabbits out of hats. And th you've got to have a little bit of a pizzazz to you. And the message has to hit a felt need if you're going to get anyone to sign up. And Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's message was of a crucified, think of that, that in the first century, a crucified person who had lived in Palestine who was declared to be the Messiah. That's crazy talk, Paul. That will not fly. But he said, I determined, or I decided. It actually says determined. He didn't come in, oh, what message shall I preach here? Oh, you know, I'll preach that Jesus Christ and crucified message. That sounds like a good idea. Write some notes. No, yeah. he went into Corinth, and as he's going to Corinth, he sees this impressive city, and he doubles down. I'm determined. That's what I'm going to do. A crucified bloke. And the content of the message shaped the form of the message. He's not there to grandstand and for people to look at him along with all the other Corinthian eloquent speakers. Paul is rubbing the noses of the Corinthian church in it a bit by saying, you have lost what it means to belong to the new age, the age to come. You've defaulted back to loving the things that Corinth says will get you somewhere. And there's nothing about the man himself that will impress a Corinthian. And we feel the weight of this, and the church has, this has cost the church, that if we could just find the right prized fighter, pastor, we could sort this out. If we could find someone hip, young, urban enough, with great hair, I'm not ticking a lot of boxes at this point. And a beard. And a, beard. a beard is a compensatory act, and it never, never makes up for hair. If we could just find that. You see, you want the guy that when your church is out, 
somewhere and the rest of the world looks on and they say, well, who's your leader? You go, him. <laughs> and you know what they've got? Hello. <laughs> Paul. If we are going to take Paul out to the common market square for dinner, let's go somewhere where it's dimly lit and we don't bump into anyone we know. Not that, Paul. <laughs> I'll give you an encouragement. My weekend here has been spent having great, encouraging gospel conversations with people because that's what Simon and Paul do here and the leadership team. Because it feels like that feels like an outpost of the age to come in this age as we await Jesus' return. But Paul goes to Corinth where the good life in this age is so attractive that people will say, if we could just put a gospel veneer over that, that might work. And he goes, I'm going to do the opposite. And he says in verses 4 to 5, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of God, but in the power of God, or the wisdom of men, but the power of God. So he's, he's putting two differences there. He says, not this, but that, so that, not this. <laughs> not implausible words of wisdom, so that you won't be attracted to the wisdom of human beings, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, so that the power of God will be the thing that which you are drawn to. Now, when you see the spirit of uh, the demonstration of the spirit and power, do you know what you think? You think the Christianized version of pulling a rabbit out of a hat and wowing everyone. Do you know what the power of the spirit is in Paul's message? It's the message. <laughs> the gospel message changes people. And Paul can go to Corinth, although in weakness and trembling, knowing this, that everywhere he has gone and brought the gospel message, it has been the power of God to save people. Everywhere. In spite of great opposition. In spite of great scorn. In spite of terrible circumstances. In spite of, you know, being beaten up, put in prison, etc., etc. Everywhere he has gone, God's power has moved people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from the domain of sin and death to the domain of righteousness and life. Everywhere. He's done the same thing and seen that happen. And that's the cause and effect. And, and our problem, I think, as we see 900,000 people, every census tick, no religion, is that we kind of want the sugar rush of the plausible words of wisdom, don't we? Who's the latest guy who's trending on social media who's a Christian? Let's go with that. But sugar doesn't get you very far when you need energy. <laughs> it's a sugar rush, but it rushes through you. And if we've seen anything the last 10 years, as people get more frantic about how do we reach the uh, culture for the gospel, we've seen people do lots of sugar rush with bad results with bad results, that have brought shame on the name of Jesus because they've operated in the powers of this age 
the wisdom of this world, the flex of being impressive or big or the latest this or the latest that, or let's tweak that message a bit. Let's take out the bits that are offensive. That's generally the cross, by the way, so that might give you an indication that that's a problem. And let's put in some other stuff, or let's dial down sotto voce some stuff that we don't like when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, and dial some other stuff up. Best life now, <laughs> for example. Let's dial down the suffer now and glory later a bit and just say, we can have it all now. And that's exactly what the Corinthians wanted. They wanted it all now. <laughs> they didn't care for the resurrection because that said we've got to wait for something. They wanted to be, as Paul says, you want to be kings now. It's the nowness of our desire for glory that's our problem. That is our biggest problem. And what we tend to do is, there's, it's like saying, looking at the Mona Lisa and saying, that's not a real smile, let me sort that out for you. <laughs> Every time we add to the gospel, that's what we're doing. We're saying, that's not, the Mona Lisa, it's not up to it. Let me give you a bigger, cheesy grin. I believe it's the weirdness of Christianity, <laughs> in one sense, that it's its strength. It's the fact that it's so different. It's the fact that it goes in exactly the opposite direction that gives us this wow. See, I, I'm old enough to remember a couple of iterations of Q&A. And when I was younger, the mood among my friends was, if a Christian was getting on Q&A, we would all get down and pray in a circle for about two days and go, oh Lord, we have not cracked the Bible all week. We have not prayed as we ought. We have left undone the things we ought to have done and not done the things we ought to have done. But Lord, could you make it not an idiot who gets on Q&A to represent Christianity? Because what we wanted was someone sensible, right? And by that I mean they would look at the rest of the panellists and go, we're pretty much on about the same thing in life as you are. We're all heading in roughly the same direction. We all want to see human flourishing or whatever it is. And we've just got this agenda that's Jesus-focused. But we're all... It doesn't feel like that's where we're headed at the moment, right? It doesn't feel like if you were a Christian on Q&A, you would say, we all see the world roughly the same way and we're all heading in the same direction. It feels like you've got to be the weird bloke who goes on Q&A and says, actually, I belong to the age to come. And if you think my views on sexuality are weird, I also believe that one day Jesus is going to peel the sky back and come and rescue us from this present evil age, at which point security is going, we've got a live one, get him out of here, right? <laughs> We're weirder than people think. And we're busy trying to hide that. Right? And Claire, who became a Christian, wanted it. There's the great irony. There's a whole bunch of people saying, I want something more, different. And we're going, no, we're just the same as you. <laughs> no. No. And Paul nails it, doesn't he, when he says, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, and we've mentioned this verse before, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul is under no illusions. The rulers of this age who do value earthly wisdom don't get Jesus. They just don't get Jesus. And they looked at Jesus back in the day and went, yeah, nah. He's not the future. He's on the wrong side of history. And if that's true of Jesus, 
then it's been true of his disciples down the centuries as well, and it's true of us today, that the census stats say we're on the wrong side of history. And that's the tension we sit under, because the rulers of this age in every generation do not understand the crucified Lord or why that was necessary, or the people of the crucified Lord either. Now Paul goes on to say this, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This verse is typically used to talk about heaven. We have no clue that it's, the, the water is going to be bluer, the dolphins are going to be friskier out there like they were this morning. It, it's gonna, this is not talking about heaven. And we know that from the context. This is saying something else. Because Paul goes on to say this. These things, which things? <laughs> the things that God has prepared for those who love him, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. These things have been revealed to us, not will be revealed to us. Now, there is an extension of them. But God's revelation of who he is and what he has done for us and how that transforms us starts now. It's Jesus in the message of the gospel revealed to us by the power of the Spirit as a gift of God. And Claire was like that, ah, oh, it's amazing. And we just sort of dull that over over the years. But that's why you come back to Colossians 2. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, they're hidden, I can't... No, no, no. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And over the course of our Christian lives, we get to unpack the treasure that we have in Jesus. And it's been great having conversations with people here who are nevertheless going through their own difficulties. And do you know what has come through to me more than anything? In the end, your treasure is Jesus. If I were to get a hundred people from any other framework or organisation to sit here today, I could walk around and chat and I would soon find out what their treasure is by their conversations. And this weekend, so many of our conversations have brought us back to Jesus because he's our treasure. And we get to search the riches of his treasure now and into the age to come forever because they will be bottomless treasures. Moving, becoming a Christian, moving from belonging to this age to the age to come, opens up a good life now in this age beyond what this life can offer. Now and into the future. So you see it when Peter's walking and uh, the sort of, uh, you can't serve God and money, the rich people are walking away, and, and Peter says to Jesus, we've left everything for you, and, and you can just see Jesus' sort of face palm, you know, really? <laughs> Let me explain to you what you get. You get a family, brothers and sisters. You get sufferings. <laughs> And in the age to come, 
eternal life. You get a people who share their lives with you, their fields, their lives, <laughs> their houses, their families, together. Paul goes on to say, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God, contrasting again that we might understand the things freely given us by God, the gift. And we impart this, says Paul of his ministry, in words not taught by human wisdom, the spirit of the world, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And conversations I've been having with people is you cannot intellectually argue someone into believing in Jesus because it's not in their strength to believe in Jesus because the natural mind is at enmity towards God, hostile to God, and only God's spirit can transform someone. My friend Ollie's friend Claire from work, her very desire to look for something more than what this life was offering was the work of the Holy Spirit in her because nothing in herself would do it. It took God to do it. God's gift of the Holy Spirit to us is that we start with the work of his Spirit and we continue with the work of his Spirit, diving into the truths of what he's freely given us in Christ. It's not all knowledge that can come from God. So the old Corinth says, tick the no religion box. <laughs> Keep doing it till we launder this thing out of our culture which is heading towards a progressive beautiful future without dogma this age says be impressed with the show we put on it says Christianity has had its day it doesn't work it's reactionary and it doesn't have a future here but that's seeing things from human wisdom that's seeing things from without the Spirit. Tim Keller wrote in The Atlantic a couple of weeks ago about maybe there are some green shoots for the gospel coming after all. Because there's certainly an angst and a lostness in our world that's asking serious questions. And he says this, talking about the low points of Christianity in the world over history. There was no such thing as monasticism through which pagan northern Europe was turned Christian until there was. There was no reformation until there was. There was no revival that turned Methodist and Baptist into culturally dominant forces in the Midwest and Southeast United States until there was. And he finishes his article with these words. Christianity like its founder, does not go from strength to strength, but from death to resurrection. That's the way God works. That's Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel. The Lord kills and brings to life because this age can only bring to life and kill. Only God can kill and bring to life. We don't need to be tailoring and shaping and cutting the gospel message to make it more acceptable to the modern progressive mind or the modern conservative mind, both which would be very happy with their version of history without Jesus. Because the gospel was not acceptable to Corinthians until it was. 
the gospel was not acceptable to that young woman at Providence Church's gathering until it was. Because, let's face it, the gospel wasn't acceptable to you or to me until it was. And you will not stand on the last day and say, salvation belongs to me. You will say, salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb. This age is a secular age, and it feels like the good life without God can tick along quite happily for millions of people. But Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is still working and bringing people into his kingdom, setting them up for the age to come, when one day God's Spirit will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your gospel message, a message of seeming weakness, the challenges are very core of our desires. It transforms us and transforms our desires and makes us into new people by the power of the Spirit, equipped for the good life in the age to come, but also living a good, deep, rich life in this age among your people. We pray that you, we would listen to your Holy Spirit and that we would treasure Jesus and we would spend our lives not on the godded things of the marina, our own sexual identity issues, or all our other You Do You programs, but we would seek Jesus, in whom is hidden all this wisdom and all this treasure. May we treasure him as we go into our week, this coming week, as people who belong to the new age, yet living in this one. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.